Good to see you. I missed all of you. Uh, I went to visit several different churches over the last month, and this is still my favorite one by far. I might be a little biased, but every week I wanted to come here and see you guys, and, and uh, I missed you. So really excited to celebrate Christmas together, really excited to share God's word with you. And as a community, we've been going through kind of this rebrand process, but it's to help deepen who we already are. And even as we thought about this process, we're asking, how do we put our vision and values in front of our community more to think about who we are and what we've done and who we want to be as well? And so we exist to be God's family empowered by the Spirit to join Jesus' mission in renewing the world. If, if you're newer to our church, this is who we are. This is what, we about, what we're about. And our values just kind of break down our vision we want to be God's family, and we were God's family before we met, if you're a brother or sister in Christ, but as a community, we get to experience familyness. You know, the, the, the Bible talks about church primarily as family. The Greek word church is a literal translation of family, oikos, and so it's not primarily a building or a steeple. It's not primarily a block on your schedule or service time. It's primarily relationships. It's primarily getting to know each other and love each other and, and fellowshipping together. And so a big way in which we do this is on Sundays, our big gathering. And we hope that Sunday service wouldn't just be about the stage, but really getting to know each other and interact. And also we have community groups. And so we have Alpha 1.0 and, and 2.0 starting up again in the winter. It's a really cool time for those of you who are starting off your Christian journey, or you just want to learn more about what Christianity is, to ask questions and to kind of hear some of the basics about who Jesus is, what, what is the Bible about, uh, wh why is Christianity important, and even just asking the questions that have been on your mind. 2.0 it goes a little bit deeper. It gives you kind of a 3,000-foot view of the Bible. It's hard to wrap your arms around a a book, 1,700 pages, spanning a few thousand years. So Alpha 2.0 kind of gives you the overarching view of what the Bible is about. And, and Pastor Christie is leading both of those. And then we have life stage groups for youth, college, young adults. We got four of them. Uh, married without kids, married with kids. Uh, with our married with kids small group, we actually do a Bible study for the kids because we want to invest in their spiritual life as well. And then we have a commuter group that just started up a few weeks ago. For those of you who have a hard time coming in uh, outside of Sunday, they meet up, have lunch after church, do a sermon discussion. But it's an amazing way to just kind of roll up your sleeves and understand the scripture before it's taught on Sundays. It's also a place where I've seen really deep relationship form, where we've been able to share about maybe some of our struggles through depression or anxiety or losing a job, or having um, problems with family, and, and just being able to pray and support each other and grow in our friendship. And so if, if you haven't been able to join a group, we'd love for you to do that, and we'd love to help you get connected. Our second value is we are on Jesus' mission. And so we kind of asked, man, if Jesus was in Fullerton, how would he live? Who would he interact with? Who would he see in the city? And I love how our church has expressed that in so many different ways. I've taken the liberty to name a lot of our ministries. So Family for Foster Youth, that's one of the passion that God's put on my heart 
and uh, just being able to provide dinner for uh, some people who have grown up out of the foster system or adopt a foster kid to mentor them on a monthly basis, going to foster camps to um, bring Jesus to them. We'd love for you to be a part of that. A safe place for youth who have experienced domestic violence. On Mondays, a group of us go out um, and just kind of care for, for young people who have gone through that. Co-mentoring at-risk youth. Uh, that's Tuesdays. We have a group of people having one-on-one -on -one relationship with uh, different demographics in Fullerton that don't have the resources that a lot of us have. Reaching out to college campuses through AIA, Epic, and Crew. And also, we have a perspectives class that help us understand world missions, the history of missions, and also how God's been moving around the world. And that class is actually raising up leaders to help us launch our first mission trip, hopefully this summer. And so we'd love for you to join us in Jesus' mission. And lastly, we want to be a church that's empowered by the Spirit, that goes deep in our faith. And so especially this next year, that's going to be some of how we focus and move as a community. And so in January, February, we're actually starting up our new series, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. I just bought a couple thousand dollars worth of books and workbooks for us. And, um, and for the first time, I think, we're going to step away from working through a book of the Bible. We're going to take an extended pause in Matthew and look at how do we grow deeper in our walk with the Lord? How do we grow both in our emotional health as well as our spiritual health? One of the quotes from the book was this woman reflecting on her spiritual journey, and she said, I've lived my first year of the Christian faith 18 times. Like, I've been Christian for 18 years, but I keep repeating that immature part of my spiritual journey. And I hope that through this series, our church will grow deeper and be more contemplative about both our emotional and our spiritual health. We're going to continue to do worship and prayer nights. Again, Pastor Chrissy has done an amazing job just helping us go deeper in our prayer lives. Um, and so those are some of the things to look forward to and some of those things that we've set our roots in. And I hope that we'll continue to be a church that exists, to be God's family, on mission with Jesus, empowered by the Spirit. All right, as we look at today, we're actually going to stop a few times this Sunday and um, do what we always do. We, we intro with a question, kind of break off and, and start thinking and actually having conversation. Make sure the person next to us isn't an android, you know, like we're real people with stories in a room together trying to be family. But we're going to do that a few times. And so I would love for you to make sure that everyone around you is in a small group, right? So go ahead, break off into groups of two or three, and ask this question to each other. What is love? It's kind of a big question, but, but what does love mean to you? What is love comprised of? And um, again, if you've been here many times, this is kind of a part of our rhythm. But if you're new, it, it can feel a little awkward, but you'll, you'll get right into it. So go ahead, break off into groups of two, three, four, and ask this question, what is love? And then I'll come back in a few minutes. All right. When I think about love, um, there's definitely some specific people that come to mind, especially my wife. So this is Nina, uh, my beautiful Australian wife. I made her laugh really hard this one time, and it was amazing. And we have photo evidence.
I wish I remember what I said. But um, she's amazing. And I remember the first couple of times uh, I was with her, those, those first weeks, I was just so addicted to her. I wanted to be with her every moment, but I didn't want to scare her off. So I asked her out every other day. And um, we went bowling together, we went mini golfing. And I remember just, just loving her presence. And one day, one of those moments I knew I wanted to marry her was when we spent like 12 hours together. It was 10 p.m., dropped her off at a very decent hour. And then I was going to pick her up the next day for breakfast. And I, was, I liked sleeping. So I was going to go home, brush my teeth, go to sleep, wake up, pick her up. I had like 15 minutes of consciousness. And I was like, I'm going to miss her a lot for 15 minutes. And I'm like, I should move in with her. And so we had two babies, got married. Um, by the way, we, we just came back from paternity leave, and um, this is Levi, so he's like a mini version of Liam. I just feel like I have Liam in two sizes, small and large, um, but when I think about my wife, I think about kind of, especially in a, the early years of our relationship, this intoxication, now it's this like depth of friendship. When I think about my kids, I think about how love feels really selfless. I, I hate it when people eat my food. You know, I feel violated if someone takes food off my plate. I love it when other people share their food. I'm, I like eating other people's food. But when Liam takes, like, the best piece of my fruit or when he wants my steak and I cut him, I just kind of naturally go for the juiciest part to give to him. And he's eating it. And he's a foodie. I don't know if you saw. I had, like, this Instagram uh, snap or uh, story where he puts steak in his mouth. He closes his eyes. And he just chews it. And then he says, this is great in Korean. It's amazing. And so when he eats, I just feel like I'm eating. And there's just this selflessness to my love. And then I think about some of the close friends I have. One of them is Jonathan Whitmore. It was his wife doing announcements with us. Janice says you look scary with the beard. She just went to children's ministry. She was freaking out. But anyways, we go snowboarding once a year. We do the same routes every time because we don't improve because we only go once a year. But um, it's just fun. And when I think about the friends that I have, I just it's like people I enjoy, you know, people who know me and I know them and I have nothing to prove, right? The closest friends you have, maybe you got together with them at Christmas. You walk in and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how popular you are, or, or if you're going through a divorce. Like, they just know you. They know all of you. You're not a few factoids. You can be comfortable with them and let your guard down. And I'm so grateful for the people I get that with in this community and old friends. And then the Bible gives a definition of love as well. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 8 says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. You know, when I started preaching this passage, when I heard it in Sunday school and in other sermons, it was always brought to my attention as if when you really fall in love with someone, when you find a girl you want to marry, or when you have a best friend, you will love, you'll know you love them because you display all of these things. 
You know you really love someone when you're patient with them or when you're kind or when you don't get easily angered. And then I got married. And none of these things are true. Like, when I think about my wife, my poor, poor, poor wife, she's experienced the worst of my anger, right? I've said things to her that I've never said to anyone in this room. My, my child has experienced my impatience more than my interns, right? And I love my child way more than Kevin. <laughs> Why is it that the people, it's almost the opposite of what I've heard, that the people I love most sometimes are the people that I hurt most deeply. The people who love me are oftentimes the ones that have left the deepest scars, so if love is all of these things, why is it that even though I've loved my wife well at times, I've also hated her and, and hurt her? Well, I, I think about this time also, uh, when I was doing community service, Caltrans. Anyone, has anyone done Caltrans? It's not voluntary. Um, I, you know, people ask you, what are you in for? Some people were grand theft auto. Other people were petty theft. I just didn't want to pay for a traffic ticket. And I missed a few court dates. And it billed out to like over $1,000. And I was a poor college student. So I was like, can I volunteer? So anyways, I got sent to tra Caltrans for a few days. And it's been, I was like, this is for sure ending up in a sermon illustration. So I'm hanging out with people, trying to like nab stories for today. And um, I'm just kidding. And anyways, I met this guy. And um, you're like, what are you in for? I told him I couldn't pay off a ticket because I was too poor. And then he shared with me that um, he was actually in here for domestic violence. But it was profound to me because he said, I love her to death. There's no one more important to me than my wife. But we get drunk, we start fighting, and the, the last few times I, I was violent to her. How does that make sense that you love her and you hit her, but then that's all of our experiences in different ways? So the Bible gives this phrase that redefines love in, in profound ways, and, and I think for me, in my have been the first time I ever thought of love this way. Even though we talk about love all the time, I think it gives a very different texture to what love is. In this really simple phrase in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it says, God is love. It speaks about who God is. There's only three verses in the Bible that starts with God is, speaking about his essence and his person. God is spirit. God is light. And here, God is love. When you are something, you don't try to be it. And so it speaks to what God is, but it also speaks to what love is. That love isn't something that you feel or give. It's not primarily a verb or adjective, but it's who you are. It's who God is, meaning love is something he possesses. But then I think it's also saying that love is possessible. Love is who we are. And, and when we think about love that way, it, it starts making sense. That the same guy who's going to lose his temper and yell out the window because someone cut him off on the road is the same man who's yelling at his wife and his child. The same person taking a leisure in seventh grade about her enemies, timestamping they, how they wronged her, 
is the same woman who's going to go through 10 years of history in her marriage about how he failed. If, if love is who we are, or, or not love is who we are, then it makes sense that everything we do comes out of that. And so the same man who can punch his enemy and his wife makes sense just as much as a, a person can love his enemy and his child. Because love isn't primarily how you act or what you give, but it's primarily who you are. God is love. So when he forgives you, it's not effortful. When he doesn't keep a record of wrong, he, it's not like he has to really try to do that. It's just, it's out of his person. And I wonder what it looks like for us to reflect on love being who we are. You know, so we're reading this, this passage again, and we don't think about it as like, am I patient to my wife? Or how do we become more kind? Maybe our primary question is, how do I possess more love? Or what aspects of love am I? Do I embody as part of my soul? And then what aspects of love am I void of? I think about these aspects of love and I'm like, man, I'm not a patient person. That I lose my temper often. Or I don't always hope I can give up on people. That those are aspects of love that I'm void of. But I'm pretty trusting and I hope often, and I try not to dishonor people. We all have aspects of love that we've embodied well, and then and we've kind of displayed to our friends and our family, to the stranger on the street, but then we have aspects of love that we're void of too, that we've hurt the people we love most because it's who we are. And I wonder if today if we could kind of own some of that. So if you're willing to, and maybe as much as you can share, I would love for us to kind of break off into groups again. Some of you had to sit with your family today. I'm sorry, you know. But um, maybe you can ask them if you, not, if you don't have the same self-awareness. Um, like, what aspects of love do you possess as you look at this, as you look at this list? Um, what aspects of love are you? And then what aspects of love... Are you weakest at? Are you most void of? I'm going to give you guys a few minutes again, and maybe the same people you shared that question with, you could share this with as well. And again, I want to encourage you, if someone's sitting there awkwardly alone, please invite them into your group. All right, I'll give you guys a few minutes, and then we'll come up and finish the sermon. All right, we got one more uh, opportunity to connect, so... If you feel like you got skipped because your partner talked too long, you can make up the time later. Kind of like the, the debates. Anyways. Oh, two things quickly. Firstly, um, random dating tip. So if you're single, here you go. It's actually, I would say, a marriage tip as well. Do you guys remember eHarmony? It's like 90s dating website, 35 mention, dimensions of compatibility. I think in all these ways, uh, we look for people who are compatible with us, whether it's scrolling through their profile or meeting them and comparing hobbies. But I feel like this love is compatible, right? Like who's not compatible with someone who's patient? Who's not compatible with someone who, who 
hopes and perseveres and protects? Who's not compatible with someone who isn't easily angered? And who is compatible with a person who boasts often or is always envious or is unkind? You know, when I think about those of you who are looking for someone to spend the rest of your life with, I, I find someone who desires and as best as they can wants to be love. And if your marriage, if you're trying to be a better husband or wife or father or mother, it's about us not just wanting to love them more or express more love, but that God would transform our hearts to be love. But how do we, you know, as we identify some of these places in which we're void, how do we make up for it? Like, how do we become more loving? It's almost easier to try harder, but it's really difficult to change our hearts. I remember I was on this plane talking to this therapist. Um, this is before we had devices, so you actually had to use words and make eye contact and because you're bored, right? So the other human instead of phones. It was terrible. It was a terrible time. So anyways, we were having this conversation, and he was saying how um, one of his clients is struggling with anger and was about to get fired because he was like full-blown yelling at his coworkers. So he went to him for therapy, and he said, hey, try to separate how you're feeling from your actions. Basically, count to 10. When you feel angry, count to 10. And he paid him 100 bucks, right? And the next thing, he came back. And um, he said, okay, I count to 10. The last time someone made me really upset. But every time I put down a number, I was thinking of a different way to hurt some him, hurt him, right? Like sharp objects and fire and stuff like that. And I think that's often our experience. Like when we want to change, it can feel just like a superficial, two-inch thick behavior instead of this deep difference in our soul. What does it look like to change deeply. There's this other passage from 1 John chapter 4. It says, we love because he first loved us. That our ability not only to love others, not only to understand what love is, but to become love is because we first are able to receive love. That if we have any chance of changing in a deep way, to become love, we need to find and experience the love of Jesus. And I think that's what Christmas is all about. That God loved us so much that he came to this earth to, to find us. He pursued us. He was the first to love us. And in this Christmas season, it's not just about something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's about Jesus coming to earth to find people in Jerusalem, in Judea, in, in 310, 15 AD, and all the way to in this moment that Jesus is looking for us. And Jesus wants to extend his love to us first. We love because he first loved us. So when we think about maybe our deficits of love, that can be, if we think of it correctly, a GPS to the aspects of God in which we need to be loved in, right? Because when we hear, like, Jesus loves you, it, it can feel so cliche. Like, I bought the sweater, and I put it on my Instagram, and, and we've seen it a hundred times. But what if we ask Jesus to love us 
and specifically the way that we're void in. God, love me and, and show me your patience. And the reason why I'm impatient is because I haven't received and been loved by God's patience. The reason why I keep a record of wrong is probably because I think that God is keeping a record of my wrong. The reason why I'm unkind to others is because I haven't been blown away by the kindness of God. And when we allow Jesus loves you to be this dismissal phrase, we become unchanged by his love. But what if we said this morning that we want to discover the love that we've been missing? You know, I, I, I knew Jesus loved me pretty much my whole life. But then I started realizing that I have a filtered version of his love. That when I think Jesus loves me, when that phrase comes to mind, that word love is contextualized by my parents' love. Like how my parents love me is very much how I believe Jesus loves me. And so my mom, she loved me deeply. Every, most parents do. And she sacrifices so easily for me. You know, when, when we cut fruit, it's like she would eat the core, right? And she would give us the best pieces. And she just kind of lived that life. So I understood Jesus' sacrifice. But she was also deficient in her love, as all of our parents are. And she had a really hard time um, loving me with patience. She had a hard time not being easily angered. You know, I, my mom has two masters and got a 97% average when she went to nursing school at 50, and I failed fifth grade. She was like, you are your father's son. <laughs> this is not my fault. You know, like... This, your dad just did this to you. And so when I brought home bad grades from school, it wasn't just a reflection of me failing math. It's like my mom, for her, she failed parenting. And so she would just get so angry with me when I, when I couldn't spell something yesterday. Or I'm just kidding. Well, um, <laughs> co I couldn't spell copying correctly on my Insta story. And then I can't edit it. Anyways, um, <laughs> She would, just, she would just, like, be so angry. And then, and then I looked up at God. And when people said, and when I said, God loves me, yeah, he loves me like my mom. We all kind of think that way, actually. We have a filtered version of God's love. And so God's love for me meant sacrificial and angry. God's love for me meant that he was kind most of the time, but then he would be impatient as well. And so when I sinned and when I failed him, I was waiting for him to like blow up at me. I, was, I would like sh shrivel up because I thought he was going to strike me down or remove every good thing from my life. That was my knee-jerk reaction to failing God. And it just took years to undo that. It took years for me to believe that when I sin, he sits with me in my filth. He doesn't say, you're not my son and walk away. He's, he's gentle. He puts his arm around me. When I, when I see a ministry fail instead of succeed, he still holds my hand and he's like, hey, it's okay. You don't need to be perfect all the time. I'm perfect. I can be with you and hold you when you're good and running to me and when you're throwing a tantrum and kicking 
and screaming, I could hold both of those things in my arms. And my mom couldn't. It just took years for me to understand that God's love was perfect. And to say, God, you are patient, to, to comb through the Bible for his patience, to experience his patience through community, to other family members, and then to ask Jesus to be patient with me. And week in and week out, see that and, and find that in him. And then to find that he's always been patient. To comb through my childhood and to say, man, God's always been patient with me. You know, my mom, she was impatient because her parents were impatient. She went to school in, in Taiwan. And if you got a 97%, that, and missed one question, it meant you got hit one time, right? That was your reward for getting almost an A+. Plus. You got hit once. You missed three questions, you got hit three times. And if you're perfect, you don't get hit. Congratulations, right? And so my mom grew up with this perfect or nothing mentality. And she moved into her Christian faith with that same framework. God loves me when I'm perfect. So she wanted to check all the boxes. She went and got her master's in Christian education. She went to church every Sunday, perfect attendance. She ended up working at church. And then one day, the church started being really dismissive about her. And she started kind of hiding away and then fading away and walking out of church. And everything she had that brought her kind of spiritual accolades were, were stripped from her. I remember during that time, she just went into this deep depression. Everything she thought that gave her value as a Christian wasn't there anymore. No one looked up to her at church. No one wanted advice from her. No one, no one thought of her. I remember she would talk about taking her life. I remember she would be walking in the living room late at night. I come home at 12 and see her strolling from the... Uh, kitchen to the living room and I'd be like mom go to sleep and then at 5 a.m. I wake up to use the restroom and and it's dark and she's still walking back and forth and then in the depths of her depression she started just reaching out to God and I saw him put her back together my dad quit his job and just sat with her in the bed into the into the afternoon bring her breakfast and then lunch and then kind of pull her out and say, can we just go on a walk in the afternoon? And he, he showed her that she's loved without doing anything, without producing, without being perfect. She'd reach out to the Lord in prayer and just kind of cry in front of him for hours. And then she started picking herself up and going to retreats and, and just kind of sitting in his presence. And, and then when she rebuilt her spiritual her Christian faith, it wasn't out of this God who loved her for everything she could do. It was a God who loved her in the, in the depth of her despair when she had nothing to give. And she, she found his love in a new way, that his love is unconditional, that his love perseveres, that his love has hope. And then I just kind of saw her rise, you know, like, she started trying to develop a sense of humor. So she would read these jokes from the Chinese newspaper and say it to me and my sister. And we would laugh as loud as we could. 
as hard as we could. And then she went back to school and got her nursing degree. And then she had this sweet kindness and patience about her. As I see her interact with my son, as I get to re-experience her as a mother, I wonder how you need to be loved by Jesus this morning. Jesus loves you. And Jesus loves you in, in the way that you're void of. And what does it look like to peel that back and, and to ask God, God, would you love me in the way that I need you most? That if you're struggling with kindness, that you would say, Jesus, help me to see how deeply kind you are. That you see me through the eyes of kindness. If you feel like you're not hoping for people in your life, that you would first experience Jesus' hope for you, that he hasn't given up, that he thinks of the best for you all the time. He's always thinking of who you could be and willing to walk you into that. If you're holding a grudge against all of your family members, what does it look like to remember again and again your mistakes and to know that Jesus has forgiven them? I hope that this morning we could take a few minutes and just like pray for each other and I think this is my sweetest time when it comes to Sunday service to have us share and say, hey, here's the place where I need to experience Jesus' love the most. And what's yours? And how can we pray for, for each other to experience Jesus there? Let me pray for us. And I would love for us to, to pray for each other and to take communion together and to remember that Jesus loves us so much that he broke his body and he shed his blood to be able to have us experience his love. And I hope that this Christmas, this message would go so much further than, than this morning. That you would find God's love this week in new ways, in transforming ways. God, we're so grateful for you. We think about how this idea that love transforms us echoes throughout all these songs and movies that were a whole culture fascinated by your love, by how love is transforming. And we pray that this morning we would find a love that is the most transforming, that will make us like you. God, as we spend time praying for each other, would you move in our hearts and would you open our eyes and would we experience your love in a new way? In Jesus' name, amen.